Hello and welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining me again. So by way of introduction, my guest today is known globally as a pioneer in the field of personal branding with 20 years of experience gained in big corporations such as Procter & Gamble and Bristol Myers Squibb, where she was responsible for billion-dollar brands. She's also coached a 1,000 senior leaders with from 60 nationalities across 70 industries and is recognized by Thinkers50 as a world leader in coaching. She is also the president of Brenda Bentz International. Can I welcome to the podcast, Brenda Bentz? How are you? I am great, Eric. Thank you so much for having me today. I look forward to our conversation. Look, it's it's fantastic to have you here. And um, what I am finding with these conversations is I'm, I'm getting to talk to good people like yourself that I think is in the leadership space. And so I'm going to take a slightly different tack with today's podcast. Let's start off where to sort of ground the discussion around defining leadership. Now, I have found with previous guests that there is no one fixed definition. And I think there's good reasons why. And so in that vein, how do you define leadership from a a Brenda Bentz uh, point of view? Well, thanks for asking. It is a great question. And I think you're right. Very many, I've asked this question of many CEOs around the world and they always have a different answer too. So to me, based on my experience, I think the job of a leader, Eric, is to be an enabler. So to me, leadership is the process of, enabling others. It's recognizing the value, the potential that each person can offer, like the possibilities behind each situation, each customer, each client, each individual you're leading, and then putting in place the mindset, the culture, the systems, the structures, the processes that allow that value and potential to be fully expressed. That's how I see leadership. That definition, like many, is around a people focus. And I guess um, one a previous set of questions I used to ask around leadership versus management, the best way it's been defined to me as leadership is about people and visions and goals and the person-centered view of the world, whereas management, as important as it is, is operational in its focus and it's about getting things done. And yeah, I think I think at the heart of it, human beings are involved, which, which is critical, I think, in some ways, and I'd love to get your view on this, is that when people are new to a leadership role or are just getting into that leadership space, understanding that leadership is about people sometimes is missed and I don't know how that happens, but in your travels, the, the people that you've taught, spoken with, do you find that A, that happens and B, how can you better prepare people to understand what the world of, of leadership is from a, from a corporate perspective, I guess? Yeah. You know, I, I love what you're saying here, Eric, because I see this frequently. Think about leadership as a journey, right? When you're starting in your early career, what are you being charged with? Tasks. Get the work done. Work, work, work. Demonstrate your what you can offer. Demonstrate your your capability. What you you know what what you're good for. And so it's all done primarily through tasks, getting things done, get the work done, the projects, etc. Then you become a leader, and we fall into that habit of wanting to do tasks again. But as you just said, leadership isn't about tasks. That's management. Leadership is about people, leading people. And I don't think we often do enough to help people realize that what got you here isn't going to get you there. It isn't going to get you where you need to be when you're in a leadership space. So what I often do is when I ask leaders to start thinking about that transition is, okay, let's let's take a circle, a pie graph in front of you and pretend that you're going to split that into two parts. And before you became a leader, what percentage was tasks, getting the work done, and what percentage was relationships? 
Or you could do the same thing with what percentage was business, focusing on the business, what percentage was focusing on the people. And what happens is you see that shift over time because early on people will say, oh, 70 to 90% is task, task, task. I got to get my tasks done, right? But then you move into that leadership space and they say, ah, you're right. Because at that space, it isn't about me anymore. It's not about what I can get done. It's about what I can empower the people who work for me, enabling the people who work for me to get done. So you have to have that shift that takes place, that ratio, I call it the ratio has to shift. Given the number of leaders that you've coached and the, the countries that you've visited and the organizations that you've been part of, I guess, as part of that, that coaching, I don't know if you'd call it mentoring, but the role that you've played, what do you see from a, let's talk about this in a C-suite level the challenges that you see in leadership going forward. So it would be it would be easy, but um, I'm not going to do this to you, and I don't want to limit it to say what what are the top three challenges you see coming. <laughs> if, if if you had to add lib here, based on your experiences, what would you say are those challenges that are potentially emerging, or ones that are there now that are being exacerbated because of recent um, recent issues uh, post COVID, if we can call that what we're in at the moment. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Three is tough, right? I mean, my initial reaction to your question of, of common challenges is how much time do you have? <laughs> you know, there's there's just so many of them, Eric. But look, I think number one right now is uncertainty. You know, as humans, we operate so much more effectively if we have certainty, if we have a map that we can follow, a game plan that we can envision and where we think we're going. But there's no map. In fact, we don't even know where we're going. <laughs> we don't even have, how can you have a map when you aren't really sure where you're going? Because things are changing so quickly. All the foundations are shifting. The minute we make a plan, tomorrow it can be obsolete. So I think this uncertainty is a really big challenge right now for leaders. And that's what, one of the things that I'm seeing. And how do you operate when you're in such a place of uncertainty? There are a number of geopolitical issues, of course, going on right now. And, and that's disrupting operations, Russia, Ukraine, U.S.-China relationships, uh, China being shut down due to COVID uh, recently, you know, in the last, in the past and all that. But, and that's just as recent as last month. So, you know, it is still out there. It's happening. And then I think, you know, there is reality to this great resignation wave. And, and I think these are not just HR issues, Eric. These, these, this great resignation wave, I know some organizations that have lost 30, 40, even 50% of their staff. Now think about that. That's not just that's not just HR, that is an operational risk. Organizations can't even operate with that limit, limited people, that limited number of people. And in the meantime, we're shifting the way we work. We're working hybrid, we're working remotely and how we connect and lead and manage in this changing world is also taking place. So, so one of the things I see, Eric, is leaders are burning out. It's not just employees. There's a lot of talk of employees bringing out wellness issues among employees, but I'm seeing it just as much in leaders, not just employees and staff. And on top of that, just to confound it and make it even more challenging, Eric, leadership has become very, well, I call it personal. Leadership's become very personal. What do I mean? I call it personal leadership because that's what's really required today. Employees are looking for personal attention. They want what they want uniquely for them. But how do you lead a large organization personally <laughs> when you're responsible for so many people, all who want something unique? And if they don't get it, well, they're just going to leave and find a place that will provide it. So again, these, these are big, chunky issues. And we're experiencing, I believe it's the biggest global leadership crisis that certainly in this lifetime that we've experienced. It's unique. 
and there's no map, no directions. Could uh, we could go into the rabbit hole with any of those that you've just brought up? And they're all critically important for um, different reasons. So one that stood out uh, that I, I did know the stats on, and, and thank you for sharing that with with myself and my listeners, is the level of resignation at the end of that great resignation that we've seen. And you know, if you've got an organization, organization X that's lost thirty to forty percent of its people capabilities, then you've got potentially hundreds of years worth of experience walking out the door, then the issues there is the cost of replacing that skill set and almost starting at day one with new people coming in. And that has its own set of challenges, not, not least of which being the degree of stress that you're seeing in leaders. Now, the what I find fascinating about your response to that previous question, Brenda, is not, not only are we seeing mental health issues potentially in our workforces, but you've just made it very clear that we're seeing it in leaders. And what are you seeing as the behavioral and physical manifestations of that in the leaders that you come across? Again, not to mention individual specifically, but what is it that you're seeing, seeing that are the telltale signs of a stressed out person in a leadership role? So there are many symptoms that are evident, but you start to make mistakes where you never made mistakes before. Um, you get more irritable. You might become more moody up and down than you have in the past. Maybe you've been more calm in the past. There, there are many, many examples uh, to watch for in terms of what's happening and just, just you know, blurting out things that you normally wouldn't do or finding a, a means to want to stay home. A lot of leaders are just like, you know, I don't think I'm going to go to the office. I'm just going to stay at home and trying to avoid those community connections you know, people are just not doing them. Leaders are not doing them, but you have to do that, right? So these are some of the telltale signs that that things aren't going well, that you're, fun, you're suffering from symptoms of the stress and anxiety as a leader. Are you finding that organizations, particularly boards, are coming to you and others trying to find ways to run what would be a leader health check within the organization? Is that something that's being even discussed or is it left to chance? Like, are we engaging with this to any degree that you think is is functional? Not to the degree it should be. I think we're, I think the belief system that I'm seeing or beliefs that I'm seeing are, look, you need to look at leaders. You need to look after your employees. You leader, just, you know, just buck up, just, just, you know, hang in there, stiff upper lip. Come on, you got this. You're a leader. You can do this. And, (laughs) you know, we're not recognizing the hurt that a lot of leaders are in right now, but we're just expecting them to step up to the plate, do what they need to do. Yeah, that's, um, that's a little disappointing, but again, you said that we're uh, potentially in a state of flux at the moment and not just uncertainty. I, I would add, and I'd like your perspective on this, if you could share it with me, this idea of complexity in the space of leadership. So leaders have to contend with complex situations on a regular basis. You add to that uncertainty and that uh, once upon a time, a a plan was something you could rely on, you know, a strategic plan within the business. And now potentially in some industries, those plans won't be worth the paper they're written on because from one day to the next, you're going to have to throw that plan away and and do something different. And so I guess, I guess my question there is, is the level of complexity increasing or is it being exacerbated by the level of uncertainty? One is affecting the other is what I'm trying yeah. to ask. Yeah. 
Well, I think what we need to do is we need to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. I don't see this changing anytime. In fact, if anything, the pace of change is picking up and has been picking up for the past 10, 15, 20 years. So I think this is the norm. Okay, the situations themselves might change. You know, what, what's the specific geopolitical issues or what's the specific, you know, specific supply chain? All that could change. But the fact is change is here to stay. And so we have to get comfortable with that as leaders. And what I always say is when the world outside of us, Eric, and all around you is in a complete state of disruption, you have to disrupt the one thing inside of you as a leader that you can, that you can control and that can bring long time, long lasting positive change. And that's your mindset. You've got to shift the way you think. You have to change your perception of these challenges. And the best leaders that I see and have the, the honor of working with, they can shift their mindset to recognize that these aren't challenges, these are opportunities. And when you can sh make that shift, it's extraordinary what happens. When you can get people around you to shift that mindset too. It's very exciting to see what happens. If I can, I think that uh, that segues nicely into my next topic area, the this idea about international learning, learnings around leadership during crisis. So are you seeing more of what you just described then from leaders internationally that they're looking at current challenges as opportunities or is it a mix of things? I think once they go through coaching and get that support. You know, I look at certain leaders are doing this very naturally. You know, Elon Musk always looks at opportunities, right? He may be controversial in terms of how he goes about them, but he's a very forward-focused individual, right? But I think the key today in international leadership is remembering that humans are humans. I, you, you mentioned earlier, I work, I work across six continents. I work across dozens of countries, but humans are humans and no matter where they're located and no matter how many countries you are leading. So in a crisis, it's really important to get back to what are the basics. You got to ask people what they think. You have to listen carefully. I think it's one of the more important aspects of being a good enabler and a good leader is to listen. People want to be heard now more than ever, especially if they're working at home, they're working hybrid. They want to know that they matter. So leadership in international crisis, communicate frequently, communicate clearly. And you know, Eric, in terms of what to communicate, I'm a big advocate of what they call the Stockdale paradox. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but James Stockdale was an American officer in the Navy during the American Vietnam War. And he became a prisoner of war or a POW. And he was there for seven years, seven years, can you imagine? And he became during that time, think of him as the, the de facto leader of other POWs. Now, he during this time, he noticed three groups of POWs and the impact that being a POW had on them. And interestingly, this is what he found. I find this really fascinating. Those who died first were the blind pessimists. They were the folks who said, we're never going to get out of here. This is going to end badly. We're all going to die. They had no hope at all. And, and guess what? They did die first. Now, those who died second were the blind optimists, interestingly enough. We're going to be out by year end. We'll be out by Christmas. We'll be out by spring. And when that time came, Christmas or spring or the end of the year, and they weren't out, when those results didn't live up to their expectations, they lost all hope and they died too. Now, those who lived, according to Stockdale, were those that he called the hopeful pragmatists. They would say things like, you know, we don't know when we're going to get out of this place and, and things may change, but we can overcome this. 
there was a sense of hope to it, Eric, and, and it was there was potential to it, but it was also grounded in reality. And I think with our current situation, no matter where we are, with all this change coming, we also need to be hopeful pragmatists as leaders. You know, if we say things like, we're just going to wait till things get back to normal or, you know, all these geopolitical conflicts, we'll just wait till they're all done. We don't know what's going to happen. It may not be over by the end of the year. It may not be over in years. We don't know. And so what we need to do as leaders to say, here's what I think we're going to do, or here's what I think what's going to happen. But given the unpredictability of our current situation, that could change tomorrow too. That's just being brutally honest. But then you offset that, Eric, with a narrative of hope, a balance of healthy optimism. We're going to prevail. We're going to prevail. These kinds of situations will eventually be over with. Humans have overcome these things for centuries. This one's going to be no different. And so I just think it, it sends an important message that choosing to communicate during uncertain times People are likely distracted, they're under stress, they're in a place of uncertainty. It's really foundational that you be, be that hopeful pragmatist as a leader. You know, what's the message you could share right now with your team that would be realistic, but also has hope attached to it? You know, when you were speaking about feedback as a leader, it reminded me of a situation, when a story when I was much younger in my career. When I first started working at Procter & Gamble, I was recruited by a man named A.G. Laffley. Now, A.G. Laffley went on to become the chairman and the CEO of P&G, the $80 billion conglomerate. And he did that uh, twice, actually. So, and he had a vested interest in recruiting me because he he was in charge of recruiting from Harvard Business School, which is where I went to HBS and 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 they, to get my MBA. And he really wanted uh, to, to me to join the organization. So he was very convincing and I joined the organization. About a month or so after I started working there, he would come down into from the, you know, the high on high on floors and come down to the where this little peon was working. And, and he would sit in my in the bullpen. We had bullpens back the little places to sit. And he would ask me questions. He would say things like, what's going on? Tell me what's happening on the, on the ground. What's the rumors? What are people talking about? And I thought it was interesting. And I shared it and everything. And, and he would come like once a week, once every two weeks and, and very frequently. And finally, after several months of this, Eric, I said one night, and he would always come late at night because I was always working late at night. And he said, I said, AJ, help me understand. What is, why are you coming to me and asking me these questions? You know, what me? I'm just a, I'm just starting out here. I'm just new to the organization. And he said, Brenda, when I hired when I hired you, I knew that you'd be a straight shooter. And he said, here's the thing. What I've learned is the higher up you get in an organization, the less clear information you get. It's filtered as you go higher and higher up the organization. And he said, I need someone who can tell who on the ground who tells me what's really going on. And I thought that was so fascinating. And I remember thinking about that. And I still share that story with CEOs that I work with today because I want them to recognize that you may not be getting all the information you need. You've got to seek the information and don't just seek it from the people directly below you or two levels down. Get into the bowels of the building, get into you know, the understanding where people really are and make sure you're getting the kind of information you really need to understand what's really going on in your company. I think that's foundational. You've got to seek that feedback, no matter where you are in the organization as a leader. I hadn't heard that a lot. And uh, I've often asked people that are in that run in major corporate circles, the higher up you get in very large organizations, the more degrees of separation leaders have from the rest of their teams, because I, I don't think it would be feasible 
practical or even doable to uh, speak to get to know all of your staff if you've got hundreds if not thousands of staff that's not um, doable but if you've got certain key people across levels in the organization that you can have the straight shooter conversation I think that's an amazing way to get a pulse of what's going on because yeah and I think when you talk about filtering I, I the pessimist to me would say, well, the, the reports below you will only tell you what they think you need to know. Whereas I, I think the difficulty, and I don't know how you um, get around this, is that when you're sitting in front of your boss and they say, give it to me straight, you're feeling if you're the person on the other side of that desk is, I'm only going to tell you exactly what you need to know, but I'm not going to potentially put myself in jeopardy by saying something that might seem out of school. And that is, I think that's a, a normal human intuitive thing to do that you want to protect yourself, but also not say something that may not be technically correct because that could come and bite you as well. So it's, it, it's fascinating that someone is prepared at, at that level to just come down to a, like you said, a newbie and have the chat and say, well, tell me what's and all what's going on. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, look, it, more power to you asking him down the track, hey, why are you putting me through this? Because obviously you weren't feeling a certain kind of way with someone that high up coming to talk to you on a on a infrequent or frequent basis to say, well, what's going on? You think, could you have gotten this from somebody else? Why is it me? And that's a very positive thing, but it's also quite a telling thing that in organizations of all kinds, you're not going to get some people that are prepared to have the warts and all conversation. And that that's important, I think. Well, and here's what's interesting, Eric, something you said, you know, you want to protect yourself and be careful what you say. But here's the thing. I think too many times in leadership, we do get into that space of protecting ourselves and what I and or you versus me or you and me and how. But in fact, I think the best leaders rise up out of that into a space of we what get out of the you versus me, get into the space of what's the right thing to do for the organization? What's the right thing to do for this team? What's the right thing to do for our customers, our, our clients? And when you can rise up out of that, then that you you versus me thing pretty much goes away because it's we realize we're here for a bigger purpose. I hundred percent agree. I'm, I'm uh, why I said what I said, and I, I should have said this in a better way. I, look, I'm, I'm still honing my craft of asking questions here. It's more around you need to create a space for people to do that because whatever whatever people might think about getting good process in leadership if you don't give people that i hate to use the word not safe not safe space but a place to be able to have the we discussion versus the you and me discussion that that those elements need to be there and i have to say i've, I've seen workplaces and i've been in workplaces where that's not encourage and I'm, I'm not i'm not surprised why some organizations have massive turnover because that doesn't exactly. exist exactly know? i was just going to say the great resignation wave is actually just a reflection of the great disconnection, the great disengagement. That's exactly what's happening. Think about it. People are remote. They're working from home. They're not feeling engaged anyway. And then you have these environments where you don't feel that you can be open and honest and talk about what's really going on because there are lots of challenges we're experiencing. So they lose that connection. That disconnection happens. And so what's the result? The great resignation rate. Yeah. And look, um, Brenda, if, if we get you back at some point, we can talk about the great resignation. But to conclude our discussion today, I want to ask you about, and, and you suggested this topic here, and I, I really like it. I want to see where you go with it. Leadership in times of great change. So what, what do you mean by that? And what should we be looking out for in that space? Well, the way I like to look at leadership with the individuals that I coach, the C-suite execs, is remembering that the past created the present. And what does that mean? 
that means the present is just a reflection of the past. So if you just stay in the present, you're going to keep getting the same old things and same old things if you just stick to what you're doing now. The best leaders in times of great change, they focus on the future, truly the future, on what can be, not being tied to the present. Now, it takes a different way of thinking to get there, but you got to understand the importance of playing the long game, even if you've got you know the stock markets wanting you to get your short-term gains in quickly. But, but the point is I want to make is, Comfort is the enemy of innovation and the present or the past can often feel comfortable because we know what it was. We feel comfortable with it. it it's, that's the way it's always been. But the leaders that I see are doing really well right now, like the Elon Musks are saying, what's possible? And so it's about staying open to solutions and ideas, no matter where they come from. Listen, listen, listen. It's probably the, one of the most important things we can do as leaders in these times of great change. The mindset that you're talking about, positivity, thinking, what can we do different? What can we, how can we look at a situation in a more positive way? Is I think moving away from what you've done in the past, the, the thing with this, just again, as an observation from me here is human beings revert to type and it's easy to fall back into what is comfortable versus challenging yourself. And I, I think part of uh, great leadership or those great leaders that I see around the place are constantly challenging their assumptions and trying to do something different and doesn't always work. Now, I think the most honest leaders I've spoken to have said, yeah, we've stuffed up heaps of times, but when you have the win, it's been worth it and you learn from that process. And I'm a big believer in even when a process goes wrong, learn from that to try and get better. I think that's just a natural part of the discussion as being a leader. Um, when I say natural, I need to qualify that for those leaders that don't find that natural, reaching out to people like yourself and others to try and get a better a better process is, is where I think you've gone with that. So Brenda, before we go, can you give the listeners an overview of what you do at Brenda Bentz International, please? Sure. Well, listen, I split my time between two primary services. I, I coach, I do coach at the senior, very senior levels of organizations, the C-suite CEOs. And I also then I, so I do that coaching. And then I also am a, a professional speaker. So I speak at global conferences, global conventions all around the world, both virtually and in person. And then I've also written 11 books on my leadership learnings, leadership coaching, branding, and uh, yeah, and, and co-author three books. So those are all available too. I will, I'll make those available in the podcast description when we publish a discussion. Brenda, thank you for your time. Thank you, Eric. I really enjoyed our chat. Thanks a lot. Uh, thank you. M much to take away from the discussion. So for those listening, I've been speaking to Brenda Bentz, the president of Brenda Bentz International. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Stay safe and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership.